Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs. We're in the sixth chapter. We finished the fifth in our last lesson. We're in the sixth chapter. If you wanted to kind of divide it up, verses 1 through 5, we'll call it unlimited liability. Liability. And verses 6 through 11 is the sluggard. Talk about the sluggard. Verses 12 through 15, the mischief maker. In verses 16 through 19, seven abominations. These six things that the Lord hates, seven is abominations, sight of God, see. And then that's verse 16 through 19. And the last section is verses 20 through 35 is adultery. Of course, it's not only physical, but spiritual, as far as the spiritual condition of people are concerned with God. They depart from God and love the world, and it's the same thing in the spiritual way as if one were untrue in the marital relation. All right, <clears throat> let's look at the first section of this study tonight and begin with uh, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. I want you to notice this. For a Christian to be surety or to co-sign or to take responsibility with someone else is a very dangerous thing. And because of the kindness of our hearts, many times we're tempted to say, well, he's a Christian brother or maybe he's not even a Christian, maybe he's a friend, maybe he's not just an altogether uh, immoral person or bad person, but whether he's even an unsaved person or even a saved person, uh, you're sticking your neck out, if you want to, <laughs> pardon the expression. Because, you know, you have the right to say no. I'm going to preach a sermon on uh, this sometime, that the Christian's right to say no. You know, we all uh, think that, that Christians have to say yes to everything because they love people and they care about people and they... The, the sympathy and kindness of their heart makes them say, well, this guy needs uh, help, so I'll help. It's not always the best case. In fact, the Word of God here warns against it. Sometimes you, you make an enemy out of a friend by doing this very thing right here. Because when it ends up sour and you don't expect the, uh, the thing to turn out with the bad uh, consequences, you don't expect what's going to happen when it could uh, happen, and sometimes it doesn't happen that uh, if you co-sign with someone or you be surety for someone, it amounts to one and the same thing, that you end up on the short end of the stick and you say, well, my, why did I do that? And then the other person knows that you you feel bad about it and you make an enemy out of a good friend. So if it's going to end up that you have an enemy out of a friend, it's not a very good uh, idea, is it? Do you know what? If you can't go to the bank and borrow money there, you shouldn't try to get it from your friend. Did you know that? That's really true. Because if, if you're a bad risk at the bank, you're a bad risk with your with your brother. And two, the bank can suffer the loss sometimes if you had the situation there. But your brother, many times, he's sticking his head out too far, and he can't really suffer that loss if it actually comes back to him. And so it says, uh, My son, if thou be pure, surety for thy friend... If I stricken thy hand, in other words, if you co-signed or, or agreed or uh, come to an agreement, made a contract or whatever it is, with a stranger, and sometimes friend and stranger are used uh, intermittently, uh, interchangeably here, I should say, and he might be a close friend or he might not be such a good friend. Sometimes they've given the indication that stranger means an apostate, but the Scripture doesn't carry that out. It just carries out the general terms of being surety for someone. So it says, Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. In other words, you popped off when you should have been listening. You should have kept your mouth shut when you just said, Oh, yeah, you need help. Well, I, 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 you know, 
we're always ready, ready to volunteer if someone is in trouble. But uh, that's a bad uh, way to do it. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. See, snared and taken, meaning much the same thing. And it says, do this now. Okay, if you've got yourself in this situation, look at this. It says, do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of uh, thy friend, go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. In other words, you do your best to get out of the situation. Did not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. Look at that. In other words, some people do not realize the severity of the situation they've gotten themselves into. So if there's any way at all to get out of this situation, you do it, and do it quickly, is what he's saying. Look how, look how serious it is. Deliver thyself. Some people do not realize how serious it really is. You have a right to say no. Or otherwise it may, in the Old Testament days, it led many to poverty and to be sold off or to have to serve as servants under the hands of others for many uh, for many years, usually seven years was the, the time of servitude. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 5, I want you to notice the situation with these that had gotten themselves into uh, trouble and, and possibly as a result of something like this. We don't know, but they had uh, made bad deals and made bad agreements and contracts so that they were uh, in bondage. And if you read Nehemiah chapter 5, I want you to begin with verse 1 through 5. It says, And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren the Jews. Now look, against their brethren. It says, And there were that said, We, our sons, our daughters, are many, therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also uh, there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dirt. And see, because they couldn't pay, there, there were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. And it says, Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring, now look, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are brought into bondage already, neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Suppose you uh, go a note for someone for $10,000, and you've only got a, a 500 to try to, and, and, and it turns wrong, and you've got 500 All you have is it written. In other words, you've got to pay it, right? If that other person can't pay it, you're the one that's responsible. And sometimes you just have to say, no, no, I cannot do that. Friend, I understand your need, but I can't do that. And it's your right to do that. And you know, sometimes you make a better friend out of that person than you believe, than you, than you might. Otherwise. Because they understand that you've got enough sense to know what you're doing. I'm not, and if it makes them mad, they're not a very good friend. Really? And you have to take that risk. I'm just telling you what the Word says. You can do as you please. If you want to go out there and, and sign, co-sign a note for somebody for, for a, a big amount of money or a small amount of money, just remember that if they don't have the money to pay it, you're stuck with the note. And if you do have the money to pay it, and if, even if you don't, you're stuck with whatever you're able to to. Uh, to rake up, and of course, uh, the balance would be due from you as a cosigner, regardless. So uh, you better be careful in business deals. Back to this now. What are we talking about? Unlimited liability. You become liable in such a way that there's no limit to that liability. These first few verses show that very thing. I'm going to give you a sermon one of these days on seven Christians who said no. They just said no. We're not going to do that. And uh, they're, they're in the Bible. Seven Christians who said no. And uh, one of these days we'll preach you a sermon on that. All right, let's pick up with verse 6. 
It says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. We're talking about the sluggard now from 6 through 11. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Observe the ant's wisdom. It says, Which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and getteth her food in the harvest. Look at that. The ant has no ruler, no guide, no overseer. See? And yet, the ant knows what to do. The ant's industrious. The ant's not lazy. The ant is not a slugger. Observe its wisdom. The loafer. You know, those guys always loafing around. Have nothing to do whatsoever. Absolutely nothing to do. Well, I'll tell you what. There's a payday for that kind of action. And it's usually poverty. It's usually not having enough for yourself, your family, or, or uh, provision, even for your own self, if you uh, carry it to the extreme. And so you must be industrious. And we get our lesson from the ant. In other words, we observe its wisdom. The whole book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Right. So here's another aspect of wisdom illustrated by the little ant. You ever seen that little ant going? You know, I've t- taken a can of kerosene or gasoline or what. These little red ants. You pour that on there and it seems like you've got every ant there ever could be killed. I mean, it's gone. And lo and behold, in two days, there's an... They've dug underground and there's enough of them survived. They built a new house right over here. Another ant here. Hey, man, it seemed to be just about as many as there was before. And you thought you killed thousands of them. I've even set them on fire. You know, put pour the kerosene or gasoline down there and set it on fire to destroy. Uh, and we're talking about red ants or other kinds. But this is, they're industrious. They, they keep on after it. Don't First thing you know, you see them carrying something about the size of your uh, fingernail, about four or five or six times their size and rolling it around and carrying it and they just keep on and keep on until they get it over there where they want it. Well, that's hard labor and it's work, but they're not lazy, are they? But the fellow's lazy. You know, the Bible says, if any man does not work, neither should he eat. I believe this uh, this uh, situation here would take care of a lot of uh, people bumming off the other fellow. Would they look, fella, get to work and you might have what you need. But if you're going to laze around all the time, you don't expect me to work hard and give it to you if you're not going to work at all. And so it gets our economy back in the right direction. I think if we had more of that in our nation, we'd get uh, things back in the right order. It says, Provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Proverbs 20 verse 4 says, The sluggard, now listen, will not plow. You can look at it if you want to. Proverbs 20 verse 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold or the winter, actually. And it says, Therefore shall he beg in the harvest and have nothing. I re- remember when I used to farm wheat. You'd get out there in the wheat field. And, you know, sometimes you get a cold spell even in September when wheat planting time. You'd be planting wheat out there and just really chilly and fixing the ground and trying to get that wheat in before it's too late. And uh, But if you didn't do it, you know, if you said, Oh, it's too cold, we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. First thing you know, it kept getting colder and colder and colder, right? Then you don't get the wheat in. And then next May and June, July, you don't have anything. You've got to get that wheat in the ground. And if you're not going to plow by reason of the uh, cold or by reason of the heat, even in the summer when you're preparing the land, you know it's too hot in the summertime when you should be turning the ground over and you should be moldboard and then uh, disking it and harrowing it when you're getting it prepared. If you're too lazy to do that in the heat of the day, it's about the same implication. So, hot or cold. That's why the Bible says that a preacher, he says, be instant in season, out of season. 
reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. See, the preacher is responsible if people accept it, if they do not accept it. If it's warm and acceptable, or if it's cold and indifferent, you still preach, right? Some folks say, well, that wasn't very good. Well, just preach anyway. Preach anyway. In other words, if it's not, if you have people that are not receiving and don't want to receive, Jeremiah, I mean, Isaiah, we had it last Sunday, was told to go to a people that would not hear, right? And would not see. And yet God says, you go to this people. And Jeremiah says, oh, Lord. He says, how long? You know, first he, he thought he was going on a great mission. God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And, Je- and Isaiah says, hear my Lord, send me. I, I expect he thought he was going out to a people that would just really accept the message of God. But God says, no, uh, Isaiah, they will not hear you. They cannot see and they will not understand. They're going to reject it. And yet he was told to go and he went. But, uh, so we're to be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. All right, let's get back to this now. It says, Go to the ant thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. So we're called to look upon the wisdom of the ant, which having no guide or overseer or ruler, look at her character, provideth her meat in the, in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. It says, How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Look at that. These three verses. How long will you sleep? In other words, it's not really sleeping so much as it is putting it off. In other words, just being different to it. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? Well, probably literal sleep, too. But uh, it, it, it indicates putting it off because of laziness and enjoyment of comfort and present leisure without ever attending to any work. That's the idea. Just sleeping away, dreaming away the day, and uh, and not having any sense of responsibility or duty. You know, if you don't become responsible, then you cannot expect to profit. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? When are you going to wake up? When are you going to quit putting off what is necessary? When are you going to realize that it takes work uh, and plowing and sowing to bring a harvest? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. In other words, that's all that he could be concerned about. In verse 11, So shall thy poverty come as one that travels like a vagrant. A vagabond. One that just keeps on going around, like a bum, really. He just keeps going from place to place. And, of course, the more he travels and the more he uh, runs around and the more he's uh, a vagrant, the more he's a vagabond, the more uh, poverty he has to face. Kind of like uh, one time uh, out on the farm they had the smokehouse, you know. You may have heard the story, and it's pretty common, even though it actually happened. They had all these hams hanging up in the smokehouse, and they had one special big old ham there, smoked ham, that said, we're saving that for hard times, you know. And, and uh, so they explained to the kids what hard times was. Says, well, that's when people uh, come around there. Everybody's hungry and wanting something to eat, you know. And the old guy, the old bum come knocked on the door. And this kid goes out to smoke out and gets that ham. Says, it's hard times. The old bum says, it's hard times. So they thought it was for this fella, and they gave him that good ham. So that may be the way that uh, you lose everything, isn't it? Okay, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Now verse 12, we're coming to a different section. This is the mischief maker. This is the worthless or wicked person. It says, a naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a forward mouth. 
Look at this. Actually, the word naughty means worthless or wicked. He is a wicked person. We're talking about the mischief maker. It says, and walketh with a forward mouth. That is a lying. Forward means a lying mouth. He lies about everything. You ever seen folks like that? And it says, actually, a naughty person, it means a belial or wickedness. Belial or uh, a worshiper of Belial. And it's spoken of in the New Testament, you know, what fellowship hath Christ with Belial. Now then, notice what it says here. He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers, forwardness, that, that means perverseness and, uh, and uh, lying, uh, lying tongue, forwardness is in his heart, it comes out of his mouth, and he deviseth mischief continually, he soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly, uh, it says, suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. In other words, there's always a time that uh, a person will sow what he reaps. Now notice this again. He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers. It's like, you know, the, uh, I saw the illustration of where the, the guy that was bribing the, the judge in a court, they, they had already uh, determined that if he put his finger up like that, you know, showed his finger, that meant that he would pay him the bribe, you know. Okay, as agreed. Then if things got worse and he put two fingers up, that means I'll double it, you know. So it's, it's all kinds of signs from the individual that are deceitful, you know, and misleading. So he's lying in every sense of the word. He didn't even have to speak it out. So it's showing here that his whole character is corrupt. That his feet, look at this again. He winketh with his eyes. He, he speaketh with his feet. In other words, he can't be still. He has to move around. And all, all the movements of his body shows the deceitfulness of the person. He teacheth with his fingers. See that? Forwardness is in where? In his heart. He deviseth mischief continually, and he soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity uh, come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Let me give you a reference. Look in Isaiah 30, verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 30, verses 13 and 14. And you'll see what happens. <clears throat> Isaiah 30. Now look at what verse 13 says this. Therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. In other words, his destruction suddenly comes, doesn't it? And he, he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessels that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare so that there shall... Not be found in the bursting of the sherd to take fire from the hearth, uh, hearth or, or to take water withal out of the pit. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall ye be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. In other words, uh, but verse 16, But ye said, No, for we will flee upon horses. In other words, there's the rebellious. God promised salvation. God promised deliverance. But the rebellious are going to have to pay the consequences. That same thing back in our text. Verse 15, back in our text. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken. And then it says, without remedy. You know, once you have to suffer the consequences of certain things, there's no remedy of the situation gone too far. You study the book of Amos. We've taught it here on Wednesday nights, I believe. And it says in several places, the first section of the uh, book of Amos says, For three transgressions, now listen, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And he said that concerning various heathen nations, and then he said that concerning Judah and Israel. Some of you remember us studying that. I can see the nods there. All right? So what he's saying, for three transgressions I, I uh, restrained you, I warned you, I told you what was going to happen, and finally for four you tipped the scales. You've gone one too far. And God said judgment was inevitable. 
and that's what happens sometimes to individuals. They just they just go too far. I have another message on when God's patience wears out. God's patience uh, came to an end with Noah's world, in, for, with the whole world in Noah's day, didn't it? And he endured with great patience, and finally his patience came to an end. His patience came to an end in the, in the, with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember old Belshazzar? What happened? He had so uh, defiled the holy vessels of God, and God says he wrote on the plaster of the wall, and finally Daniel was called to interpret it, and says, Mene, mene, tekel, yefarsin, which means thou art weighed in the balances and found warning. Tonight the kingdom is going to be taken from you, destroyed, and uh, taken from you and given to the Medes and the Persians. And it says, In that night was Belshazzar the king slain. Right? And Darius, I believe it was, that took the kingdom. So, whatever, I may have some of the, the uh, quotations there wrong, but you can look and find. But the situation is there. that The handwriting was on the wall, wasn't it? And so, right here you have this sudden coming. Uh, in the book of Proverbs also it says, He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. Let's see if that's 20. I believe it's 29 verse 1. Let's look at 29 and verse 1 and see. Yes, it is. It says, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed. Now, here you have it. And that without remedy. The same thing we're talking about over here in our text. 6 verse 15. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Much one in the same thing. Now then, verses 16, you have our text. 6, verse 16 through 19. You have seven abominations. 16 through 19. Notice what it says here. It says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. We can go through the book of Proverbs and show various things that are abomination to God. And sometime I'll sum up all of those. But right now, let's just uh, keep our attention to these six things. I mean, these seven that are abominations. So it says, here it names them. First of all, it says a proud look. A proud look is detested. A proud look. God detests a proud look. A proud look is unfit for the reception of grace and mercy. Did you know that? If you're trying to be so proud and so uppity, well, then you're not opening yourself to the reception of the mercy and grace of God. Some people are so... So it says, pride goeth before destruction, and a haunty spirit before fall, right? So if you've got a proud look, and if you're always above everything and everybody, including God, seemingly, that you, can't, you cannot receive his mercy and his grace, you have to be humble. God says that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. In other words, if you'll humble yourself in the sight of Almighty God and realize that we're sinners and we need God's mercy and grace, then you, you're a fit subject. Uh, for the reception of that grace. And that's about the only way you'll ever get it, too, because he says he resists the proud. So it says a proud look. And look, a lying tongue, a lying tongue reveals a deceitful heart, a lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood, it leads to bloodshed. It leads in this direction. One of these things, you know, we've given you some time or other the Beatitudes and how the first is linked to the second and so on and so forth, and they're like links in the chain. These are also that way. You see a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A lying tongue reveals a deceitful heart, and the heart yields to uh, join its hands in bloodshed. So it's just a sequence of evil above evil. And worse all the time. And it leads to every evil suggestion and finally leads to discord among the brethren. The attitude is a proud... The attitude is revealed in a proud look. attitude is one of thought. And it comes out in in uh, speech, a lying tongue, and hand, hands that shed innocent blood. 
This is action and heart that deviseth wicked imagination, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth dis- discord among brethren. Now look at these things, how they're connected. You have a proud look, then you have a lying tongue, and then you have that leads into hands that, that shed innocent blood, and then a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. And then the feet that are swift in running to mischief, and a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. No wonder the Lord hates all these things. Look at all the parts of the person revealing his character. Look at all the parts of the anatomy. Look at, first of all, a proud look would involve the eyes, right? You have the eyes, you have the tongue, you have the hands, you have the heart, you have the feet, you have the false witness, that's the tongue again, and uh, the one that sows discord among the brethren, that's also speaking out in evil. Seems like the tongue is threefold here, right? It causes three kinds of evil. If you notice, uh, trying to sum them up, a lying tongue, verse 17. In verse uh, uh, 19, a false witness that speaketh lies, there's the tongue again. And he that soweth discord among brethren, there's the tongue again. Slander, telling lies. Did you know that if God's people would avoid all of these things, it would be a very sweet day in the church and house of God. If we would learn to avoid every one of these seven things that are really abomination in the sight of God. And let me tell you something, beloved. It can be done if we're willing. Let me read a a verse for you in uh, Psalm 133. is only three verses. The 133rd Psalm. There's only three verses. And I want you to notice this. And, beloved, if we could keep this kind of atmosphere, look what it says. Behold how good, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That is a blessed verse. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down... Upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, the the ointment or anointing was uh, to Aaron was a a uh, symbol of God's anointing and presence and power and blessing upon him. It says, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Look at that. That's a wonderful little psalm, isn't it? With three verses. Don't you look back at verse 1 again at this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And if we can keep that kind of atmosphere in our church, well, someone says, well, I don't agree with brother so-and-so. Well, maybe I don't either. But that doesn't mean I can't love him and fellowship with him. That doesn't mean we can't understand each other's differences. You know, if we were all alike, wouldn't that be a terrible world? What if every one of us were alike? I can't think of what uh, what it would be if there were no... If there was only one kind of ice cream, just vanilla, you know, no other kind, no chocolate, no strawberry, nothing. Wouldn't that be an awful thing? What if there was only one kind of food, you know, only one kind of bread, just white bread, no wheat bread, no no other kinds of loaves? Why, man, that'd be the worst thing in the world. And all of us, a variety it really makes for a, a good uh, blessing if we can learn that we don't have to be just because we're different, we don't have to be indifferent. And so we can learn to fellowship with each other and have, have fellowship with one another. There are certain basic things that we need to be unified in, the basic things, the fundamentals of the faith. We, we need to certainly all believe in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all need to believe in the sinlessness of Christ. We believe, need to believe in the uh, substitutionary, sacrificial, atoning uh, work of Christ. 
that we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. This is our unity. This is the strength of our unity. But if someone comes along with a little different uh, interpretation of a verse of Scripture where there is possibility that either side could be, it could be one way or it could be the other, and there's no definite spelling out that it is one way or the other. And sometimes we have things like that in the Scripture where we can have a little difference of opinion and yet not disagree on the fundamentals of the faith. And that should ne never divide God's children. It should keep us in unity. And, and uh, sometimes uh, uh, your, your interpretation, your uh, thoughts may be far better than mine. And sometimes my, mine may make some sense and maybe yours doesn't make quite as good a sense. So we have to learn to get along in these things. And sometimes uh, it's a matter of deeper knowledge and teaching in certain aspects, too. You know, on the surface, a lot of things do not always uh, give the full uh, revelation of what is revealed in the Word. Sometimes a person will take a scripture and they'll just take that one scripture and without comparing all the, the reference scriptures and getting the full study of that particular subject together, uh, they'll make their, draw their conclusions without coming to to any full study of the situation. We call that prejudice in a way because you're prejudging before all the evidence is in, right? You've got to get all the evidence in first. Someone says, well, that scripture teaches so-and-so. Well, let's see. Let's, let's listen. Let's don't draw the conclusion until we have all the, all the evidence in. Right? The Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Some people say, well, that means you have to be baptized to be saved. No, it didn't say that. It said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, didn't it? Okay. But it says... He that believeth not shall be condemned. It didn't say he that is baptized not shall be condemned, did it? So then baptism must be not the essential part, but something that follows the necessary part. See, you've got to get all the evidence in. And there's too many other scriptures that says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So it doesn't say anything about being baptized, and thou shalt be saved. Right. And baptism just makes it more comfortable. I could just say, if a fellow goes down here and catches a bus to go to Roswell, he's going to go to Roswell, right? But if a fellow goes down here and catches a bus to go to Roswell and takes a seat on that bus, he's going to Roswell. Now, he'd be far more comfortable if he sits down on the way, won't he? But uh, if he wants to stand on the bus, he's still going to get to Roswell, right? If he wants to hang on the bumper, he'll get there. If he wants to stick half his body out the window, if he just don't fall out, he's still going to get there. That's like, he that believeth shall be saved, and he that... Believe that it's baptized shall be saved, see? And so you're more comfortable if you follow the other aspects of the comfortable trip on the way. But you're going to get there regardless if you meet the essential requirement, right? So uh, there's a lot of things that we take, uh, uh, draw conclusions to before we have all the evidence in. And that's why I'm a Baptist. I've, tr I've tried to get the ev evidence in. And beloved, I believe we have some evidence on our side. I believe we've got some real firm scriptural biblical evidence on our side as Bible-believing Christians and as Baptists. And I'm not saying that all are, are that way, and I know there's some that are gone off on the deep end in every direction. But if we'll stick to the Word of God, I believe you can find, the, find out the, the truth. All right, let's look at this. It says in verse um, uh, 20, My son, keep thy father's commandments, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually, continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. Look at that. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Three things, lest we go the wrong way. When we are not awake to any danger, it says, when thou goest, it shall... Well, 
First of all, it says, When thou goest, it shall lead thee. And that means that the word of God, if we follow it, we might go the wrong way, but if we'll go and follow its leading, it will lead us. And when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When we're not awake to any danger, yet if we're in danger, we're going to be kept because we follow the word of God. It says, And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. When we need uh, someone to talk to, God's word will talk to us. Someone says, I need someone to talk to. Well, let God's Word speak to you, and then you speak to God in prayer. And you have a conversation, and you have some counsel, and you have some guidance. It says in verse 23, For the commandment is a lamp, the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. You have a repeat here of what you had before. Look, compare the first part of verse 22 with the first part of verse 23. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. A lamp leads us, does A lamp shines in the darkness, and we, if we follow it, it will lead us. And when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. It says the law is light. So when it's dark and we have no light, well, it's going to, to also show us the way. And then, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Okay? That last part of verse 22 with verse 23. Notice that. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. In other words, even if it's reproofs of instructions, it will show us the way of life. It'll talk to us about what's good and bad and right and which way to go. Verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman. Now here we come across from verses 20 uh, to 35. Actually, we're going to study under this heading. We've already been getting some instructions, but all of this will help us to consider the, the uh, way that would cause us to fall, the way of adultery. Let's look at verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman and from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. The word strange woman indicates an adulteress or even a harlot. And it says, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. God's word tells us how to react to these temptations. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by, by means of a whorish woman, a, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And it says, And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. It says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go up on hot coals and his feet not be burned? Can you imagine a man walking on hot coals and not burning his feet? Men, it says, Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. Wait a minute. I skipped the verse. Verse 29. So he... Can one walk, verse 28 says, Can one walk upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth uh, into his neighbor's wife, that's commits adultery, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. In other words, he's playing with fire. Right? It says, Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. In other words, if there's some consideration of this kind of a crime, and he has to pay the consequences, even the thief, but men sometimes make at least some... A concession to this kind of an action if he's stealing to feed his family and, uh, when he's hungry, or his own soul even. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. In other words, he has to make amends, doesn't he? And he has to make rest restoration sevenfold according to the book of Exodus. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, and he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. And there's no exception. Did you know this particular thing has caused more men to fall of every social standing? And once it happens, their fall, they cannot recover from such a fall. There's just absolutely no way to really completely and finally and totally recover. If the thief steals, he can repay sevenfold and sometimes he can go on with life. 
without this being brought up. And he can live, start living the right kind of life, and it'll never be brought up again uh, in his life at some point in time. He can prove himself. But if a man commits adultery, usually it stays with him all of his life, some way or another. And it says here, he destroyeth his own soul. If you take this in a spiritual way, we talk about the destruction from God. In other words, uh, the same spiritual attitude toward God and joined with the world, then it leads to spiritual and total destruction. It says, A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Remember old Joseph? Look in Genesis 39, verse 9. He considered what kind of a sin it was. Genesis 39 and verse 9. When uh, Potiphar's wife wanted him to... Uh, take her, go in and commit adultery with her. Let's read verse 8. It says, But he refused and said, unto his, uh, and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. That was his wife. He says, Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We're living in days when Sin against God is not even brought up, is it? It's just called lifestyle, promiscuity, whatever people want to do. No laws, no rules, no regulations. And and we're living in a day and hour when it's become less and less uh, demeaning to a person. And yet, underneath it all, there is still this destruction that comes and this dishonor that comes and this reproach that shall never be wiped away. And the last two verses says, For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom. In other words, if, say, a person is caught uh, with another person's wife, it says jealousy is the rage of a man. For husband comes home, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. And God will not spare either if it pertains to the spiritual that we're talking about. And we're using the physical and material to, uh, to illustrate and picturize the, the spiritual and eternal in a relationship with God as well as the marital relationship, actually, that's seen here. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention.